0: Welcome to the Innovative Accountant Podcast, presented by Integrated Advisory by WealthGo. Join today's host and CPA, Tim Copwell, for thought-provoking ideas, information and best practices from leading experts focused on supporting the accounting profession and the integrated advisory community. We have a wonderful guest with us today, so let's get started. Welcome back to the Innovative Accountant Podcast. I'm Tim Cokewell, your host, and we have a special edition for you today. We're going to be speaking about family office models, high net worth, ultra high net worth, Everybody in the professional space seems to be trying to deal with less clients and bigger clients. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how that's evolved in Canada today. Uh, we're going to be talking about family office models. We're going to be talking about peer support opportunities, intergenerational wealth transfer. And we've got a very special guest with us today, Alison Mahard, joining us from Calgary, Alberta. Welcome to the show, Allison.
1: Thanks, Jim. Nice to see you.
0: Yeah, it's been a little while. We're uh, fellow kpmg Alumni and nice to have you on the show. Awesome. What I thought I'd do, Allison, is maybe just take a, a few minutes for our accounting audience to introduce you a little bit, talk a little bit about why you're the perfect person to have uh, talking about this topic today. So, Allison, you've uh, you know you're the founder of Family Wealth Coach in Calgary, uh, and uh, you've had over 20 years of experience as a chartered accountant, a financial planner, a trust and estate practitioner, uh, making impact with the families you counsel. You become the chief legacy officer for many canadian families and their businesses specializing in working with multi-generational family offices family businesses and high net worth individuals with a focus on estate insurance and succession planning you've had you've got too many professional designations to sort of share Um, but
1: not as much as the other people in my family just so you know i'm the least educated it's a bit of a contest
0: Oh, is it? Well, the business card is is pretty jam-packed. You've done pretty well. And you know what? I always think the experience is what counts the most, and you've clearly had lots of that. Um, It shows in all of the volunteer opportunities, the director positions, the chair positions, you know, director of Surge Energy, director and audit committee member of the Calgary Health Foundation, trustee for Seidel's donor-advised fund, chair of Calgary's Tiger 21 chapter, past chair of the Alberta Business Family Institute Advisory Board, Uh, you know, being recognized as top 40 under 40, uh, sought-after speaker, co-author. What haven't you done? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I, uh, there's a few things on my list. In fact, my kids sat down with me the other day because we were trying to talk about universities for them. And they're like, Mom, we think you should get your PhD. You're the only person in your family who hasn't got your PhD. My dad's, my dad's got two. And I know exactly what I would do it in. And they're like, well, let's just see who gets their PhD done first, Mom, That's us or nice you. And I'm nice. like, okay, bring it on. <laughs> so so there is a PhD in my future I just might do it in my 60s
0: that's awesome love it and you know we didn't mention the most important thing of all is you're a mother of uh, two active boys Joshua and Jacob 16 and 14 and I understand they're at the heart and soul of the work you do and uh, you know I guess the first thing I'd just say is I don't know how you balance all this how, how, do you, how have you had uh, you know how do you balance the personal life how do you balance all of your career and the amazing things that you've done
1: well I don't like the word balance. I don't balance, Tim. I'm all in. Uh, yeah. And I do, it's the transitions that are probably the bumpier bits when, you, when you're going from work to home or home to work uh, or trying to figure out how to, how to get ready for that emergency board meeting in the middle of a hockey game right? Like you're like, how do I stay present? How do I give what I need to give? Uh, I, I, I've given up trying to balance. I just try and be as present as I can be in the moment that I can be and, uh, and stay on top of the wave. If, if, uh, there's like a surfing analogy or a swimming analogy, just try and, st- and I, and I do fall below and, and, uh, Sleep is my thing. If I don't get enough sleep, I, I definitely go blow, blow the water. Uh, very important. Yeah, very important to me in particular. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I just, I know that you can't balance. Like, I I can't, I, I struggle to deal with sometimes, you know, kids in the middle of the day if there's an emergency because I'm in a board meeting. And I remember sitting in a, in, a, in a board meeting one day and my phone rang like three times in succession. And, you know, i like, and I, and I just like, finally I looked down, it was the kids' school and my son had fallen in school. And I just like, I just got up. I said, I have to go. And I left and everybody understood. Uh, but you know, it's one of those things it's, it's not not easy to do. And you're always trying to figure out how to be present. And then there's little distractors that come and I'm totally imperfect, Tim. It's, it's an imperfect process. <laughs> Embrace your imperfection and, and do all you can do.
0: I love that. I think, uh, I love the all-in comment. I think that that uh, shows up in everything that you've done and the success you've had, so congratulations on that. Obviously, your family's had a lot of success and you're, you're building kids in the same direction. How do you coach them on balance and or all-in and creating that drive but still you know, having the right priorities? How, how do you help them do that?
1: Well, we have a lot of conversations about what they're passionate about. Like um, my son, I didn't want my son to play hockey because I'm not really you know I've broken my nose three times uh and I thought I would like to keep his nose intact yeah um and you know he and and we did soccer and we were trying to do soccer and I thought you know that has all the attributes and as a mom you know that's I was like great soccer let's do soccer and he just decided one day he came home I'm gonna learn to skate mom I want to I want to do hockey and I was like Really, it's cold in there, you know. And uh, you know, I was trying to not discourage him, but I was, you know, think, look how great the soccer pitch looks, right? And and uh, look at the indoor uh, thing. And and he just, um, he said, "No, mom, I want to play hockey." And 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 he just went for it. He he did three skating sessions himself like like to get his skating back to back when he was like seven or eight he just was like i'm gonna do it and i figured out how to do it mom and you know what it's been wonderful to watch him and and he's not as strong a skater as everyone else because he did start later so he's a goalie and uh he's really played to that he's great it's interesting because he wasn't a great skater but he's playing to his strengths of hand-eye coordination and it's beautiful to watch him and it's totally his thing uh and he he loves the 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 um the locker room as much as the rink and it's it's beautiful to watch and it's been hard during covid not to not to see him do that but uh so he, that's how i supported him and like i did try and coach him out of it but he was like no and i was like okay i've, I've, got, to, I've got to stop with the soccer and uh and, and just his own path. embrace the goalie path
0: yeah i had a my son uh was a goalie for one year and uh, went back to being a player, and I was—I must admit—I was pretty happy about that because being a goalie parent is not easy. <laughs>
1: hard. It's really hard when someone's just trying to shoot pucks at your kid, <laughs> and and when you lose, you know, it's the, the last line of defense, right? You just want to, you just want to hug them, and and, uh, and and you can't. You have to sit back and watch watch that. And uh, but you know, he does very well with it, so it's fun to watch. And and uh, my other son, it's been an interesting transition for him, and I I love it. Uh, he, he's things have been too easy for him because he's quite bright and and during COVID and then he transferred to Western and full IV program he started to fail like he was doing and he failed very quickly and I love it when he failed fast and he recovered quickly so it was it was great to watch it was actually was awesome. it was like uh, yeah because I'm, I'm all about it, it, failing's okay it's it's if you're gonna fail fail fast and and and, and pivot.
0: Yeah, love that. So, obviously, successful uh, boys and uh, following their path, you know, values, we're going to talk about that as we get into, you know, multi-generational discussions and obviously in, in your own family, there's a lot of drive and a lot of motivation and, and talk about your values that you have and, and how how you sort of work with, uh, you know, because you, you do that for a living in, in a lot of respects, but you're also doing that on, on the personal front, so... Yeah, talk a little bit about your values.
1: And, and values work is hard to do, to try and figure out what you stand for. I think intrinsically people uh, know uh, when they're on the right path and it feels good. Um, and, they, and they don't necessarily, they can't necessarily put words to it as to what, what it is. Uh, and I started just because for my values, but also for the, the work we do with families, uh, you really have to understand what the family values and what makes them tick in order to really serve them well. Right. And I started with the experiments of the values cards of, you know, and, and a lot of them are hyper values of honesty and stewardship and um, empathy or, uh, you know, uh, like values that every, almost everyone has. I call them hyper values, the, the, the table stakes of values. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the decisions that families make in the path that I've chosen is, is based on, uh, um, more personalized values, and so Tom, my my partner, who's who's been a, he, I would call him our co-founder, a family wealth coach too. I wouldn't take the sole title of founder. Um, we really experimented a lot, and I'm grateful because that's what th- that that's been my whole career is just experimentation. And I've had some families that have been guinea pigs, and we did some really cool exercises with them to try and understand what is it, what are their core values, and how could we put words to them. And and so we take people through timelines of their life and we ask them to tell us stories and then we drill down and we try and listen for themes and it's all about really actively listening and understanding um, kind of the vibrancy of of when they're speaking about something or or the softness and we kind of test the highs and lows of people's lives because at the highs of their lives everything is ticking and going along and you know you're in concert with your values when thing when the wheels have fallen off the bus you know that something something is in consistent with your values um, and so uh, and tom and tom did mine and i did tom's and we've done that and i think one one of the things that is one of my core values is what's possible not probable and i think as a woman in financial services there's not a whole lot of women in doing what i do and um, you really have to think about what's possible. If I could have done what was probable, I wouldn't be self-employed. I wouldn't have built up the firm that I built up. I wouldn't have experimented as much as I had. I wouldn't have taken on some roles that I thought oh I don't know if I'm well suited for that or you know I just thought I'll, let me let me try this and see what's possible and so I've kind of lived my life uh behind that core value uh and there, I have a few other ones and I'm uh I like that. yeah but that's probably one that sings through for me and and uh uh it's nice that I can actually articulate it I, I couldn't put words to it before put words to it before
0: we are going to get back to the interview in just a moment If you're listening to this episode of the podcast and wondering what you can do today to transform your CPA practice, I have a free resource I wanna share with you. It's called the Integrated Advisory Video Series. This eight part video series shares our learnings over the past 20 years of how successful accounting firms are increasing revenue by offering a more holistic service offering to their clients. You will walk away with a firm understanding of the immediate changes that are happening in the accounting industry and the impact that they will have on your firm in the future. How successful independent accounting firms are broadening their service offerings and offering a better client experience without increasing their billable hours. And how you can become your client's most valued advisor by being at the core of their wealth management team. To get access to this free eight-part video series, visit integratedadvisory.ca that's integratedadvisory.ca to learn how you can grow your firm without burning out or increasing your billable hours. Visit integratedadvisory.ca and get free access to the video series today. Now back to our guest. I, I think that's really cool. I you know, obviously with a financial background, an accounting background, you focus a lot on probabilities and numbers and how, you know, the analytics of decisions and, and, um, sometimes you shut off that creative side of what's possible and, I think that that's a beautiful way to reflect that value. And, uh, so let, let's, let's go back to the beginning a little bit. So your careers moved in a lot of, you know, similar path. I, I've followed you, you know, you, you were moved from accounting to wealth management. You were a number of years ahead of me at KPMG and I followed a similar path, but I'd love to hear and share with our audience a little bit about, you know, why accounting when you started, um, and then how, what what drove you to sort of move away from some of the accounting work you're doing to really deal more with families and, and their planning and the work that was there to so talk about that a little bit?
1: I've always been interested in business, uh, but I was good at I was good at a few things. And so I got and I got a full science scholarship at university and I and it was women in science and, and engineering. And I thought, oh, I could do sciences and a lot of doctors in our family and uh, thought, Oh, you know, I could do this. And I did two years of sciences and I thought I was going to (laughs) die. And my dad at the time, I will say this was the Dean of the business faculty. So I tried to stay away from it. Right. Yeah, I skirted it. Right. (laughs) And, um, I didn't, we didn't have a whole lot of capital and resources for me to go away to university and all that kind of stuff. And, um, so UFC was my primary choice and, uh, uh, and I thought, I, could I go into business? Could I do it? And I did, uh, but I did it with a—I can tell you—with a baseball cap. And I sat at the back of the class because whenever they got to my last name and they said Allison, I could tell they would do Allison, hmm, hmm, Maher, and then they would look up because they knew the dean's name, and they they would single me out. They're like, and and right in the middle of you know a three hundred person something, they'd be like, huh. <laughs> And so I did try and hide and uh, and of course it was crazy because my you know at the time all this all this stuff about privacy is coming my dad knew my marks before I did he would he'd be like you're not on my Dean's list where are you <laughs> um, so it's been it was fun so I did do business uh, and then to be honest I'll tell you the reason I went into accounting is because I wanted to get a job so employment was hard in that in the years that I graduated it was around 92 93 even that in that zone, and I wanted a job, uh, and finance jobs were tough to get, and uh, marketing jobs even even less so. So I thought, you know, I'll do get I'll get a skill because uh, I I knew that accounting would always be a backstop, and it always has been for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you you know I can read a set of financial statements like they're a novel right? It's a skill that everyone can use at any point in time in their lives, right? Whether you're on volunteering on, on something or uh, or working for a client or um, even on my own stuff. Um, and, and so I did that. And then uh, I got offered a, the summer student job at KPMG. And, and you know, I, I will say this about KPMG and some of the other firms. It, it's an amazing community of incredibly bright human beings. And it was a gift to be able to work there and bond and bridge with so many amazing people that, that we can call each other up at any time. It's like we've been through hell together, right? Yeah, because sure. as, as you try and do your CA exams, and you know, when I did it, it was just the the two main exams. It's a lot of pressure. Uh, it, you need a lot of support, and uh, and 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 I'm grateful. Like I, a lot of the people that I, I knew then, I still know, and and. Uh, uh, it's a great community and and I then went into taxes I thought, okay I need I need a skill. I want to continue to to have a skill. I wanted to try and sharpen my own pencil. Uh, and I didn't love audit. I can tell you that like I I can I can I can remember doing an audit of a hotel and I remember just thinking this is just a grind. like a, there's no value i am providing. this is just. And this is the time when you actually audited, like you, there was no system stuff. There was no data dumps. And, you know, you were lucky to get a printer. Right. And we were working in a hotel room, like you have five students working in a little hotel room with very little desks and awful chairs. And, um, you know, they didn't want us. Nobody welcomes the auditor. Right. It's kind of like (laughs) stick them over (laughs) there. Right. So you don't really feel wanted. You don't really feel like you're adding a lot of value. And I remember just, crying as I went home one night uh along Glenmore Trail thinking what am I doing with my career and I I went back the next day and I talked to my senior in the job and he was just like this will pass you, you just have to go go through this and he was a couple years ahead of me and you know what I'm, I'm really grateful uh for that experience and, uh, and 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 you get through it uh I'm I am chair of an audit committee now actually and I'm on a few audit committees so I I appreciate the learnings that went on in those years uh, and the building. So it was building blocks to something greater.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's uh, My experience was not a lot different than your own. <laughs> I, summer student, KPMG, moved into tax as quickly, quickly as humanly possible. And, uh, you know, and I, I think in some of those large firms, right, like you're dealing with large corporate clients, so the, the audit experience and, in working with uh, you know mid-sized firms and smaller accounting firms I think is a lot different you know they're they're actually dealing more one-on-one with the client and I know for me that's what sort of drove me to tax and then ultimately into the wealth space so talk about that I'm, I'm assuming your draw was to deal more with people
1: it was actually- for sure instead of doing large transaction work and audit work uh, it, it was for sure to deal more with people and KPMG was experimenting with the wealth group at the time and trying to figure out what they could offer and 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 then they actually walked away from it. Uh, so I was still kind of just doing primarily tax stuff. Uh, but I really was interested. I did my financial planning designation, my securities courses at KPMG. After I did my in depth, and and then I wanted I, I wanted to do something different. So I went and worked for one high net worth individual who was kind of buying and selling a lot of stuff. He bought a hockey team, and I helped build an arena, and I did all kinds of interesting stuff. But he was cool. Uh, I, and I don't want to say too much, but but it, it was he was a challenging individual, as sometimes people are that are exceptional individuals. It's challenging to work with them and for them. But I did it for a couple of years, and I thought, okay, wait a second. I want to go back. There was a lot of things that I liked about my time at KPMG, but I didn't want to, and I didn't want to behold, be beholden to one family. I still don't want to be beholden to one family because I like to speak my mind, and I like to be able to to. Um, have the power to, to leave or and 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 do my own thing, um, and at the time Great West Life was hiring, uh, and London Life is now it's all, all Canada Life now. But they were hiring and they were they were creating this elite group of advisors, kind of half lawyers, half accountants, all that had a tax special, specialty uh, to provide uh, value to all the other financial advisors in Alberta and BC and Saskatchewan at the time um, when when these financial advisors were in over their head and couldn't understand the technical or the complexity of family trusts or share structures or understand the capital gains tax issues. And so these advisors were really good with people and really understood insurance products, but they couldn't overlay that into a planning or even speak to the client's advisors in a language that could be understood. And so they, they created this kind of elite group and, and in fact we all just got together about two weeks ago in Montreal. And I've left that group like 20 years ago. (laughs) And we're all still uh, really good friends still. Um, And it was an amazing, amazing experience. I I learned a lot. What I learned there was how financial advisors really interact with their clients, how they serve them, different ways of selling, um, uh, how to work with, uh, in a very collaborative way, all the advisors on on uh, around the table whether it's tax lawyers accountants investment advisors and so you had to become very collaborative because i was invited into those situations those were not my clients i had to earn my keep right i had to show value and and have an impact Uh, so it was a really good training grounds and i did that for 10 years Uh, and eventually i thought wait a second i can i can i can do this on my own right
0: Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that. So was that the start then of family wealth coach?
1: That was the beginning of family wealth coach. I'd been offered a few jobs along the way. And I thought, I I still, I I think I want to try this. And I always thought I can always get a job because when you have a CPA or a CA and you have in-depth tax course, you have, you know, you can always get a job. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's very empowering to try and experiment. Right. You can, you can always fall back on that, but it, it would allowed me to kind of propel myself into self-employment and start the firm. And, and Tom Sorge, who's an amazing business partner said, Hey, I want to do it with you. And I said, Oh, okay. Uh, let's, and we'd worked together for a long time before that on, on joint cases and things like that. I said, I, I think that could work. And, and why wouldn't we try? And yeah. I had at the time two families that stood up that I'd done quite a bit of work for saying, hey, could you help us in a family office capacity? And I said, I think I can. Um, and, 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 you know, did a lot of conversations with them. How could I help them? What would they need? And so, you know, the day that I started the firm, I already had two families uh, that I was doing work for. And they were my guinea pigs. Uh, they, they were amazing uh, families, and uh, I, I was I experimented with them. Those are the families that I did my first family meetings for, and I practiced uh, some of my different tools that we use now. I have I I'd have a. a, 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 a very pronounced or very particular intake process. Now, it wasn't that at the beginning, it was like, huh, how can I deal with this? And how do I embrace the kids? And how do I hear what's important to them? And how do I make sure I serve the whole family? And who is my client? And, um, you know, how, how, how best to serve them really? Right. Um, and, and what people say they need is not always what they need. Right. Um, and so I was trying to figure out what that was and, and, um, uh, eventually I've, I've ebbed and flowed I've had always between four and five families now I, I won't take on anymore oh, um, yeah. I, I, get off, I get asked and I will do bits of pieces of work for some families I will come in and, and, and help on some governance issues or help with a large decision that they're making but, uh, but I can't I don't have a lot of capacity as, as you know Tim it's a high touch area mm-hmm. uh, family office work and it's, um, it's 24-7 Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, you know, families are continuously, and especially when you're dealing with dynamic families, uh, multi-generational, there's always stuff going on. There's always decisions to be made. Um, they're vibrantly living their lives and, and we, as in the family office world, you you need to serve them and help, help the resources fuel their lives. Right. And so they're, we're supporting them to live their best lives. and, And how do you do that? Uh, can be everything to reviewing some tax returns to make sure they reflect uh you know things like that. I mean that's just something I've got on my desk right now. Uh it can be setting up trusts uh to to uh, for some of these uh investments that they think are really going to fly. It it can be managing um estate issues. It can be managing dementia issues. It uh because I've got a few clients with uh dementia issues and the kids are struggling with how do we how do we take over some of these decisions from mom or dad Mm. uh and how do we support mom or dad and and what am i what do your parents need from you and what do you need to do for your parents like those are some of the conversations i have uh with with my family office clients so anyway
0: yeah they're not always about numbers and dollars and uh you've got to be comfortable moving into those some of those more softer and emotional and challenging issues.
1: And Tim, the one thing I will say is I think because one of the things you would ask me is if there's any advice I would have uh on how to serve families, recognize that everyone is imperfect and it's all a journey. And um you can only do what you can do in the space you've got. Um and you need to have you need to be vulnerable yourself uh in order to, to to bring out the vulnerability in your families right? So if you're, if they really want them to connect with you and figure out what, you know, what's really keeping them up at night, uh, you, you have to be, you have to, you have to try and really connect with the families that you work with. And I do that all the time and I am entirely imperfect and I, I embrace my imperfections and you, you, you know, I would tell you the families that I, I work with, they know me as well, as well as I know them. And, right.
0: um, uh, yeah, I love that. I, you know, I think they're looking to you for leadership. And I think, as you say, vulnerability and being real is, is probably one of the biggest things in terms of being a leader. And, um, I love hearing that, that that's how you approach your clients. Cause you know, a lot of professionals don't, they want to keep their side separate and, you know, they're, they just often don't want to get into some of those, uh, more emotional issues. Uh, you know, they want to keep it at a higher level and more of a technical or a financial level. And and I agree. I think unless you're willing to go into some of those places, it's really hard to, especially in the family office space, make that work. So let's, you know, you talked about Tom, you talked about uh, family office. I mean, you know, going to your website and looking, knowing what you do as a business, there's lots of different things your company does. So family office services, uh, family governance facilitation, we're talking a little bit about that, insurance planning. Succession and estate planning, group benefits. Um, you've you've really rounded out uh, an amazing uh, uh, company and practice there, Allison. Talk about your team and, and how to you know how have you grown. Um, you know, you and Tom started it. Um, how do you help clients with all of those types of services and sort of integrate that? Are you working with a lot of professionals? Do you have a lot of people on your team? What what's the strategy there? Yeah,
1: so we keep it quite small. Like remote, you know, seven, eight people max. Uh, uh, you know, uh, we rely a lot on uh, folks we work with. So there's a few lawyers that I do quite a bit of work with, and, you know, they help me draft shareholders' agreements, they help me draft, draft trusts, wills, um, personal directives, powers of attorney. Um, you, you know, there's a handful of lawyers, and I work a lot with accounting firms. So we don't do any accounting work. Um, I've got. I do a ton of work with PwC, KPMG, M and P. you know, and they've got lots of depth. So, you know, there's this this November thing about uh, capital gains exemptions coming up, and uh, you know, they're doing the valuation work. I'm just making sure that that the transactions are happening uh and that clients are aware of that that rule change or uh, that before it gets closed up and uh so that people are taking advantage of things um and coordinating the different pieces of it that need to be done um and so so yeah so we have we have a very large virtual team but we have a very small in-house team um and we're blessed. I've got some great people that have been with us for, for quite a while. And uh, what one lady, it took me 10 years to hire her. I wooed her for 10 years. And she finally has come over and she's like, I should have done this a long time ago. I'm like, I know. <laughs> so awesome. our, our staff are like family, uh, too. And they um, not, not everybody does everything like Tom and I tend to wear a lot of hats, but our staff don't. So, uh, you know, we have one person that does a lot of underwriting for our life insurance stuff. Uh, we have another person that manages my peer-to-peer group, uh, another person that manages some of the family office stuff and and some of the administrative stuff around that. So, um, you know, it, de- it, it depends uh, uh, depending on the work we're doing and all that kind of stuff. And 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 the board work that I do is really just on me, right? It's You can't really delegate that it's you're you're you've been invited to that chair uh because because of what you bring to the table so it's it's not something you can delegate down so it's
0: yeah, right. yeah. so that you know it, it's exciting to hear the growth seven to eight I, I keeping it tight i i love that um it you know failing forward you talked about uh practicing on your your beginning clients and learning yourself and sort of applying the skills you already had to develop a a unique client experience and then obviously as you start to add team process becomes really important. So let's talk about your unique process and and how you've sort of been able to scale and and deliver a consistent client experience with your team. I, you know, you, I, I noticed that you refer to it as the legacy wealth optimization system. Share a little bit of that with us and, and what you're doing there that's unique.
1: Sure, Tim. And you know what, for that, I will also give a shout out to the legacy group in Boston. Um, Tom and I, before we became like family wealth coach, we were a part of a study group and we would go down, we'd actually meet in Chicago, it's out of Boston, but we'd meet in Chicago and every, every quarter we'd go down and we'd learn from some very progressive advisors down in the U S and we try and figure out what is it, how can we best serve, you know um, what tools could we use? How could we, how could we frame different conversations? How could we listen better? Um, and how could we hone our skills as advisors uh, to to help people think longer term, to have more resilient estate plans. Like there was always a goal in mind. We just didn't know how to get there. Um, But we were curious, really curious. And um, this group, there was about 12 of us. And so it's the same, same group that wrote the book. So I won't say I, I, I'm a co-author. We all contributed to the book and, and the book helped us frame our thinking around things. And we created a bit of a, a strategic framework to help people think through issues, uh, and we've used it over and over and over again. And then we've just perfected and honed the intake tools. So we have a lot of—I um, call it—discovery tools. So uh, I have questionnaires if you're depending on whether you're involved in a family business or whether it's about philanthropy or whether it's about uh, your legacy plan or your estate plan. Uh, we have different intake tools, and and everybody is different. Everybody likes to um, uh, kind of plug and play with us slightly differently. Um, and so we have to try and figure out, because I'll, I'll, I'll say this, Tim, not everybody knows what they want us to do for them. They know that their estate plan is imperfect. They know that they, they don't have a plan or uh, things are chaos. Uh, they, know, they know the problems but they don't know the solutions. And so a lot of the work we do is trying to help people think through things or take some space in their very busy lives to shine a light on it so that they can maybe find the solutions. So that's why we call ourselves coaches as opposed to advisors. So we're not there to tell you what the answer is. We have to help you kind of peel back the onion enough so you can find it and you can embrace it. And some of that is through... Um, like the book, uh, the future of you, uh, we wrote it cause we, we wanted to have our thinking down and it's kind of almost like a precursor. If you want to work with us and you want to figure out how we're going to help you think and some of the questions we're going to ask you, it's like a teaser. Uh, and so you can get an idea of the work we'll do with you and, and it will start you on a certain path of thinking about things. And some people, they need to read the book, then they need to hire us. Some people they've hired us and then they read the book, um, it's a complement of, of really the work with you.
0: So the book that you referenced—that's the Future View—is that that's the book, The Future View, providing clarity where life intersects wealth. I um, just wanted to make sure our listeners understand that book and go track it down. Great book. Um, obviously, you share that with your clients as part of your process. You go through a, a, an extensive discovery process um, and help them really clarify their path. I love the the comment on. Um, you know, your coach is not advisors. I think that's what's missing in professional services today, especially in the accounting side. you know we're as accountants, we were taught to solve problems and and we're selling often selling time by the hour. And so we want it, we feel we need to be very efficient with clients. And what that ends up being is you know, as soon as we get a hold of a problem, here's the solution. And in my experience, I think that learning process is really what gets clients to take action. You know, if you're helping coach them and they're going through an experience where they learn about the whys and, you know, uh, optionality and some flexibility on how they may be able to solve the problems, I find they take action much quicker. And I'm assuming that you find the same thing in your experience.
1: Yeah. And it's more resilient. They'll stick with it, Tim. And, and I can hold them to it because I can remind them of that conversation. And part of our intake process is we often do a family meeting, right? And I just want to see the chemistry of people together. I want to see how much space the parents give the kids to speak or, uh, you know, or make decisions. I want to understand the relationship. What does the sibling partnership look like? Is it is it is it like this? Is it like this? Uh, is it like this? Because, um, you know, parents sometimes... Um, how do I say this delicately? They're not quite aware that their children have grown up, right? Mm -hmm. And that they have their own relationships with their families and they have their own families, right? Um, And so part of it is part of our intake is to facilitate a family meeting. And we do some really cool exercises in that. We do some exploratory things. We do some teamwork things in it. And, And this is me. I'm an accountant, right? But I found that if you can't, like, how can I help a client decide what their estate plan should look like. If I don't know who the cast of character is and how they behave together, can they work together? Yeah. Like, you know, it's a silly thing, but I often ask families, I ask the mom and dad, so what decisions have your kids made together on their own without your input? I guess there being anything, when you, when you think back of over the years and these are kids that are like 50, years old, right. know, what have they, have they ever, you know, have you ever just said, you know, Okay, you guys let us know what you decide and, you know, and, and created a framework where you force them to work together. And they're like, hmm, no, maybe they chose a holiday or, hmm, well, we did make that one gift to the, you know, United Way one year and everybody was on side. I'm like, well, was that their decision or were they on side? Like, um, and and yet they want to create a trust where they all have to work together and they all have to be th- three trustees or something, right? I'm like, you're creating this structural framework that's going to exist after you're gone, but you have nothing. Uh, it, there's been no practice field. There's been no uh, mentorship. There's been no um, uh, no experiments to see if this will work. So it's that's you know it's interesting to me.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, that's a great question. And, um, you know, I think that that's, you know, segueing a little bit. Let's, let's talk about, you know, that governance, that family dynamic, because I think, uh, you know, professionals, accountants often struggle with how to integrate the next generation. You know, and sometimes their clients generationally, if they're the older, you know, they're in their 60s or 70s, a lot of that is often set up to be sort of more private and we keep that stuff close. And so how do you start opening up conversations with uh, with the parents in terms of including their children and when's the right time and. How do you create an environment of safety that both sides of that are comfortable with? Talk about your experience in that regard and some of the things you do to create that uh, connection.
1: Oh, Tim, a lot of it has to do with how you set the table before you even enter the room. So you have to ask permission to have these conversations and you have to create the space to have it and you have to understand what. Um, oh, where, where privacy is protected and, and, and what will be shared and what will not be. So you really have to, um, so before we work with a family, we almost always interview the next generation. I I send the kids an introductory letter saying, your parents have asked us to do some work for them on their estate plan. Um, we'd be really keen to have a, a conversation with you before, before we even start working with your parents uh, and uh, this conversation is entirely private, and we have an intake questionnaire that we we send them in advance. And
0: and when you say entirely private, you mean you're going to keep that between you and the child?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. And they're not often children. Like we've done it. We've yeah. done kids Adults. as young as twelve, but uh, but they're often adult. We call them adult children, okay. or G two or G three or generation four, however. And um, and that's that's the secret of it. Is is that asking for permission, making sure it's a safe space. And we, like, we don't record meetings. I know you're recording today and uh, nothing gets recorded and their questionnaire is their questionnaire. Um, And, and, and we have this very open dialogue. What do you need from your parents? What do your parents need from you? Um, If you had, Endless resources, what would be you know, where what how would that fuel your life? Uh, or how would that be know sometimes it's a burden, right? And and they don't want to be involved and they want the the, the level of independence. You know, you don't know what'll come out of the conversation, but it's how you frame the conversation before you enter the conversation. Right. Um that's a lot about how to create the space and um, simple things like having an agenda for the meeting and making sure they have the agenda in advance. And so, so we do some intake stuff before we have that conversation too. So they've filled out our questionnaire. We've kind of uh, looked inside the box to see where the kids are at. kind of from a temperature standpoint, you know, we encourage people to use a lot of the white space in our questionnaire to put, Thoughts or just streams of consciousness. It, it, this is we're trying to just get thoughts and feelings and ideas and um, so we encourage people to use the, the, all the white space. We also do a Colby test on everybody mm-hmm. before, before we take that we, we intake them and Colby's uh, you know with Kathy Colby's test it's it's how you how you like to act it's a cognitive test. And so the way we overlay that's how you like to make decisions you know how much risk can you handle? How, are you very analytical? Are, do you, do you get burdened by too much data and you get paralyzed? Um, how's your follow through, right? Cause we want to know if you make a decision, then are you actually going to get it done? Right. And so we test everybody in the family, their are Colby's. And we also test the key advisors, whether that's family office or whether that's outside advisors. Um, to, and we create a kind of a team profile to understand, okay, who's, who's got what skills, how do people, ha- where are they comfortable? Um, we also do a complexity threshold and a risk tolerance thing. Uh, so we, do, we have a few different intake tools um, uh, that we use before we even have that initial, like that initial meeting. So we usually block off two, two and a half hours. So we create a lot of space. If we don't use it, that's fine. But we give people a lot of space. We try and do it in a in a comfortable environment, wherever they're most comfortable. It's certainly not mom and dad's boardroom. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, if, the same way you're creating enough space for me to kind of speak my mind today is just, um, you you know, it's a, it's a unique conversation and um, yeah, it's, it's, that's the first step uh, of doing it. And then uh, we do those meetings. Usually I try and do all the meetings with all the key advisors, all the, all the kids uh, before I even meet with mom and dad. So I can then frame the questions that I asked mom and dad uh, based on the intel that I've gathered. And it's not I'm not I'm not breaching privacy, but I can just ask questions like, so how did that play out when you did that decision? And then I get their perspective because I've just heard, you know, oh, my gosh, they were totally unfair. They didn't think it through. You know, uh, you know, I got that from the kids. And I'm like, so tell me what was going through your mind at the time you made that decision for that share exchange, you know, whatever it was.
0: Yeah, I love that. I, um, we had a podcast recently with one of my business partners, Sophie Blay, and uh, she went through Colby and print and a lot of these profile tools. And I, I think that they're so valuable. Um, and, a, and what I enjoy most about them is the empathy that they bring for others. You know, and I, I hearing you talk about that, it just makes perfect sense that in family context, you know, we already have these preconceived ideas of what somebody's like. And then when we actually go through some of the tools like you talk about, you're, you're going to learn something you didn't, you probably didn't know. And it helps to. Uh, you know, potentially avoid some of those conflicts that come up because now you've got a greater understanding that this person isn't high in follow through, or uh, maybe this one's a quick start and wants to make decisions quickly, but others need to take their time and slow down and work through that. So, it's uh, yeah, very, very cool that you guys are are doing some of that work.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, have to let's... be a, you have to be a chameleon in yeah. our business. You have to serve people in the way that they are most comfortable and what they need.
0: So. You, you you got family dynamics. You're getting permission. You're creating that communication, that open mindedness. Um, and you prime
1: you prime them for the conversation before you have the conversation. Tim, sorry, right? Um, get them thinking about it. Whether it's sending them a YouTube video or sending them our book or um, even our questionnaire, even if they leave most of it blank. I can tell you that that's where I know their challenges are, and that's where I'll focus the conversation. Because if they were unable to answer a couple questions, it's because they haven't haven't been able to think through that. So I'll focus right. on the, the the questions they haven't answered.
0: Right. No, that's perfect. So so often, you know, you, you've got them now. You've identified some problems, some issues. Um, you know, especially if you're dealing with business people. They want to just get going on and they want to get things done because time is, is valuable. How do you help families think more strategically and instead of sort of tactically? What are, what are some of the things that you do to, uh, you know, start at a higher level and really focus on strategy as a family?
1: And I would say, Tim, it's easier to make tactical decisions. It's easier to stay in operational mode. It's easier to just get, just stay in a certain mode and get stuff done, make some investment decisions. And the the work that we do is hard. And, uh, you need fuel to be able to get through the hard work and you need a framework. Um, and so we we have a certain framework, and I'm sorry, if you were here, I'd draw you a picture. But imagine a triangle. The base of the triangle is all about financial independence. So if you're not financially independent, both from a from a balance sheet perspective, from a cash flow perspective, from a liquidity perspective, from a creditor protection standpoint, just if you don't feel and and and, and sorry. That's just based on the facts. And then you have to feel financially independent. You have to know you're financially independent. You have to, you have to tangibly recognize that you're, you're financially independent in order to go up to the next level, which is around family legacy. So a lot of people, I think, well, my business isn't liquid. I'm not, not even if it's worth a billion dollars, Right. Uh, I can't think about transferring this business to my kids because, you know, I don't even have enough money to to live off of, right? Because mm-hmm. they're not cash flowing enough out of it. And so uh, you really have to have a conversation. And I really, that's the first area we work with on families, especially the first generation, to try and understand what does financial independence mean to them? What do they need for financial independence? What would make them feel secure? Um, and how could you structure things so that uh, it, it, it um It actually genuinely is uh, financial independence. And so sometimes that means planting a second tree, taking some assets off the table, uh, out of the family business, or it means diversifying out of some, you know, private equity stuff and creating a safer pool of capital. It also means putting it maybe in a different structure out of the opco Maybe in a hold co or a trust, or maybe in you know joint names or uh, something, and, and then understanding how do we create cash flow of those assets. So a lot of families, um, they might be they may have amazing balance sheets, but if they don't have cash flow and liquidity, it doesn't feel very good all the time. Right. Right. And so that once you are financially independent, you're you're empowered. Just trying and think, it, it helps you. It releases you to think bigger than yourself. And so the next two layers of the triangle are family legacy and trying to define that and understand that. What is your dream for the next generation? And family uh, can mean um, key employees can be people that have been part of your like employees for 25 years that they could be part of your family. How you define family is, is up to you. Every family defines it differently. It could be the nuclear family. It could be extended family. Uh, so we have a lot of conversations around family legacy. What does that mean? How could it play out? You know, what are you doing now? Um, and, and the last tip of the triangle is what we call social capital. And social capital, by default, it's taxes. So how much are we funding our, our governments for? And we're, we're Canadians. A lot of families say, you know what, I'm, I'm happy to pay my my pound. I've, I use the healthcare system. I, I use the road system. I'm, I'm a proud Canadian, and, and I believe in the values of, of Canada. Uh, and so that's fine. Other families, uh, it also includes philanthropic stuff. So philanthropic could be... Um, Nonprofit stuff or it could be you know the traditional kind of registered charity work or it could be being more generous in their communities um it could be paying their, sal- their employees above market it could it could be many many different things um but trying to help people think through what is it what is the legacy they want to create from a social capital perspective and what does social capital mean to them uh and oftentimes there's a lot of experiments you can do there which is fun which helps on a kind of further down the triangle too so but it's it's about trying to understand that triangle um and then trying to figure out what's what strategies tactics and tools uh need need to work in each each part of the triangle um some do a little bit of work in in different in in two to three or one out of three um but then we go tactically so uh, the the expression that we have is uh we work on the why before the how And so we have this line, this planning line. Uh, So maybe I'll use my pen. Uh, So above the line is every mission, vision, values, goals, right? The the big picture things. Everything and the framework is around financial independence, family legacy, and social capital. So what are the dreams, visions, aspirations? Only once we're clear on... On those, on that picture, the why we call it. Do you go below the planning horizon? You talk about strategies, tactics, tools. How? Who's going to get it done? What does the team look like? Um, you know, and, and we start to create accountability on that side.
0: I love that framework. That's fantastic. Um, you know, so so you so you take them through the why, the how. You you walk them from you know, the strategy down to the how and the tactical and the execution. Um, families, you know, you said earlier that you, you need flexibility to make changes. And I'm assuming some of that is because even though you take them through this great process, maybe they don't take action or maybe um, the values are in alignment or you, you're trying to protect them from making poor decisions effectively. So, How do you, how do you help immunize families against poor decision-making? Like what is it, is it about the tools and the structure that does that? Or do you have some other things that you do to ensure that they, they get to making those good decisions?
1: Part of the work we do is accountability and, and it's not a one and done oftentimes. Um, And we try and create a family, a family meeting platform. So, excuse me, so that you can continue to have the conversation. So um, families, the families we work with are all incredibly dynamic. The environment is constantly changing. They're constantly changing. They're growing. They're having families. Um, They're making big decisions. Uh, It's, it's it's a continuous process, right? Um, as you know, we, we've grown up, right, Tim? Like the things that we did when we were younger and the decisions we made, uh, we might make different decisions now that we're slightly older, now that we're thinking more about our kids or our spouses, or um, and so the the resiliency comes in 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 the constant communication, in the transparency, in the building of trust, and really treating the family like a system. Um, and, and nurturing the system. Uh, now we don't always have. This is not just work that we do. The family needs to do it. It needs to. It needs. It needs to be looked after and, and curated. And the kids. Everybody has responsibility in the system to maintain the system, right? Um, and so one of the things that we can do is we can do family meetings for families, and we create uh, check-ins and updates and, um, and and a way of kind of even before we even before we go into family meeting. We'll circulate uh, agenda items and uh, you know get input from everybody. And say how could we use our time most effectively? What are the issues that you want to discuss? And then we'll try and build out an agenda that 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 speaks to everybody. Um, and and even if it's just once a year, uh, even if it's just once a year we get together and we talk about the strategic issues and we bring a framework to the conversation uh, as opposed to families. Playing this game of telephone tag, where one sibling talks to one sibling and gets a little bit of information, and somebody gets a little bit of information from dad, and then mom goes off and speaks to only this cousin, and and you know nobody gets the same information at the same time, and nobody can ask the clarifying questions, and so you create a, a framework to do it, uh, and I think that builds resiliency uh, because you're and you're constantly you're constantly making changes, and 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 you know what, um, you're giving your kids the space to grow up too because uh, as I, as my son reminded me you know he's getting more independent he needs to make more decisions he's progressing in his decision making you know i have to let that happen yeah right?
0: yeah no that's great let, let's uh j- for the sake of time i want to cover a few things quickly um tiger 21 i want to Talk about your, you're the, the, uh, chair of the Calgary chapter. And I want to talk about the value of an organization like that to families. You know, we've talked about the importance of process and the right professional approach and, and the advisors that are sitting around the table helping support clients. But how important do you think is peers and other people in business and other families that are living and going through the same things? How does that add value? Talk, talk a little bit about that and your experience. So
1: everybody's different. Everybody learns differently. Some people read by books. Some people will take advice from advisors. Some people just need to stumble through it and, and, and run their own experiments. Uh, the peer-to-peer is a layer onto that. Uh, it allows people to, to, to be a bit of a wire into other people's lives and see the challenges and the issues that they're facing and how they're making decisions and how that plays out. So in our group, we really build diversity. We've got um, lots of different generations in our group. We've got lots of different ages. We've got lots of different industries and sectors that they're invested in. We've got operating uh, people that are focused on operating companies, people that are entirely liquid uh, and, 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 and the, the conversations we have, we meet monthly. It, it, I mean, there's a lot of peer to peer groups. Uh, I just happened and I, I started in the tech world of Vistage, uh, and I, and I, and I was a member. And so I kind of understood the value of learning from peers. And then when I got asked to chair the Tiger 21 group, I thought that was a perfect uh, compliment because, and I learn every meeting. I love it. I, 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 I get to learn how people are struggling, what the challenges are, I, you know, even just what they're doing from a tactical perspective and even how they're, how they're not making, uh, uh, progress on some of the strategic issues, and and saying something out loud to a group of people that it's important to you and that you're trying to make progress on it is one of the first steps to creating uh, accountability on it and moving it forward, right? And so, um, you know, we did a really fun exercise in January. Everybody had to pick one word for 2021 as to what how where they wanted to move the needle, and it was amazing to see the words people picked. And now everybody's names on Zoom is their name and then their word, and. Uh, it's been so much fun, and even throughout the whole year we've we've asked uh, you know how are you doing on that word grow? How are you doing on that word um, simplify? how are you doing on that word drive? Uh, and so my word was begin because uh, I turned fifty this year, I want to begin, and i I wanted to to try a few different things and and in my life and and so the group challenged me in terms of are you are you beginning or are you stuck in your old ways right are you trying you know it, it, it's been great and so uh we do all kinds of really cool things we're going to the perimeter institute in waterloo next month to learn about innovation and in quantum physics uh like okay. totally to- okay. totally crazy uh and yeah. uh you know, but we want to see how the world is changing. We want to we want to understand uh, how Canada is in terms of innovation, and we want to and I want to fuel a conversation for the whole day about innovation. And uh, it's, it'll be a it'll be a really cool day. And then, uh, you know, each month we have a different theme. Last month the theme was growth and growth mindset, and um, how do you propel yourself in a pandemic? into from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, you know, and, and people were honest, like, you know, I'm struggling with this and it's great, uh, to, to see, to see that vulnerability. And, uh, uh, I really
0: enjoy the group. Yeah, that's awesome. Great value. Um, yeah, just, uh, let's, let's switch gears here a little bit and, you know, all of that sounds absolutely amazing and exactly what really all families are looking for. And I think the challenge of it is, is, you know, there's lots of experience, there's lots of advisors, and ultimately there can be lots of cost, you know, to try and deliver an experience like that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about trying to look at ways in which we can create more of a family office model for the masses, but there are a lot of challenges with that. And I just want to, so talk, talking about the types of families, like as you define family office and the models that are there today, who does that really fit with? Like what what kind of wealth, what kind of complexity? Is that even the measurement? Um, How how does that space look like in Canada today from your perspective?
1: Well, I think there's a quote, if you've seen one family office, you've seen one family office, right? Um, And a lot of people start building family offices out once they've had a bit of a liquidity event. They realize, wait a second, or they want to create... Um, some space from an operating company where they've always just done everything to serve the family in the operating company and the CFO of the operating company is just a little, <laughs> a little annoyed. Like, can you get out of my office in that personal stuff? You know, and and um, as you see people starting to take money off the table, they create holding companies, they create, they create structures or they have investments. Right. And so sometimes it's, it's, you know, they build out family offices just from a structural standpoint to manage certain pieces of it. Um, I would say that the family offices that uh, that, that really serve the families uh, are the best ones that are really family focused, right? Not just to support to the to the patriarch uh, or someone that's just providing some services, just 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 investment services. Um, that's a function. That's not serving the family. right? Right. If you're serving the family, you're taking a very holistic view of things and you're trying to figure out what services the family office should offer. Some of those can be offered in-house and some of them are going to be outsourced. And it's about working collaboratively together to serve the family. And you can't have, so here's the thing that I would say, you can't always have A players in your own back pocket, right? You might be able to hire like a I know, like some ex partners from some of the firms get hired solely to work for one family, and they are definitely a players. Now they're in retirement mode, and and uh, uh, you know very competent human beings. Uh, uh, but at the, at the end of the day, they can't always keep abreast of all the changes and be at the you know the sharpest tack. And so, if you want to deal, you want a, you want the brightest and best minds on a tax transaction or something like that, you're going to have to use a law firm. And You're going to have to you use
0: have to follow the talent.
1: You're going to follow the talent, and you can't hire that talent. And you don't want to hire that talent. You don't want you don't want to be in charge. Be you don't want that person in your backyard all the time, right? Because you're not going to be able to nurture them. You're not like just the same way you and I uh, grew up in that environment at KPMG, It's a different environment. It's a growth environment. It's a learning environment. You're like-minded people. You want to be with a bunch of tax people, right? You can't in a family office create that environment, and you don't want your people to to not, not be in that environment if you're going to deal with it from a tax perspective. And on the investment stuff, it's become a huge technology thing, right? You need a lot of technology to understand a lot of the funds and, and be able to evaluate them. You can't, a lot of family offices can't build that out in an economical way, even to evaluate their returns and their risk and and um, and access some of the more international funds. You can't have that in-house anymore. You have to use a strategic uh, advisor like a Fiera or a Seidel or, you know, there's, there's a lot of great firms out there. Um, uh, and so uh, you just got to figure out how to work collaboratively. Uh, and it's all about collaboration. And, and it wasn't, we weren't, when we grew up at KPMG, it wasn't like that. You, you tried to do everything at KPMG, right? And so it's a skill that I say I have had to learn how to, cr- how to create that, how to best serve the family. And I would say the FEA, the family enterprise advisor, designation is a great one if you're looking to try and understand how to work more collaboratively and and uh, gain some skills on that it's a it's a great program uh, for advisors to serve families
0: yeah no we, we're uh, we're involved in the FEA program as well nothing but great things to say about that and um, yeah it's uh, it, it, that family office space I know a lot of the accounting firms are um looking at that and trying to figure out how they can do more of that work but i it, it's you know we've been involved in strategic coaching one of the great books that we read was a book that refers to who not how and i think that the strategic partnership is exactly that like oftentimes especially as accountants we start on the how you know we're bright we think we can figure it out let's figure out how we're going to do this and we're going to do it internally and really the first place you should start is the who and you know who who are the people that get this who understand that and then you've got a decision to make of do you integrate them into your organization or do you just create some form of a strategic relationship so uh, totally uh, in agreement with your comments there on how important it is to find the talent and and collaborate um that's really the only way that you can sort of deliver that so let's uh, in in wrapping up here it, i always ask my guests what books they're reading Um, That was another thing in Strategic Coach I loved is sitting around in a room with, uh, you know, 50 entrepreneurs and finding what they're reading. What what are some of the books that you're uh, interested in today?
1: Well, I brought a few books here, Tim, but let me just tell you one thing. I want to give a shout out to a blog that I read religiously. So if you've only got a few minutes... I love James Clear's blog. So James Clear is the guy who wrote *The Atomic Habits*. Um, he's got this unbelievable blog. It's like three ideas, two quotes, and one question for the week. And if you only have five minutes, read read his blog. And it always propels you in different lines of thinking and and, and expands your mind. So that's my one plug for that. The the one plug that has literally changed. Uh, my career and how I help people make decisions, and also understand my own decision-making biases, is uh, Daniel Kahneman's book. And everybody knows this book. I think uh, mine is dog-eared and written in and marked up. And and honestly, I have to reread it every year because there's just so much in it. Um, and you know, the, your experiences grow, and you, and you, and you can appreciate different different biases at different points in time. So I love this book. And and he's got there's a lot of podcasts and things around his book thinking fast
0: and And, yeah so thinking fast and slow that's great we've got a our our audio program and our videos so for
1: oh i'm sorry
0: no no all good those listening to the podcast Thinking
1: fast and slow and then the other two that i will show you um what is called nudge uh, by richard thaler and cass sunstein uh it's how to nudge people to make better decisions Cool. and how to create a
0: framework that seems to be a common Word these days, it's starting to become mainstream.
1: Yeah, so it's the tagline is improving decisions about health, wealth, and happiness. And yeah. it's just interesting to think about your role and how you can nudge people, right? Cool. Um, and even how you ask a question will denote how they might respond. So you have that power as an advisor. Uh, and the last one that I always, I always give away is called uh, "Try Again, Fail Again, Fail Better." And uh, it's just got some amazing, inspiring right. quotes about failure. And I mean, I think my life is just about experimenting. And I've failed. I can tell you, I've had lots of failure. <laughs> but you learn.
0: Yeah. The, the most successful people, I think, fail the most. So I agree with you entirely. That's great. Um, yeah. Other resources. So if people want to learn more about family offices or, uh, you know, governance, um, intergenerational wealth, uh, what 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 would you point them to? Like, is there training programs or things that they should look at? Is there other resources?
1: Yeah. Well, we have on our website a bookshelf uh, with different books that we give out to clients, and and so there's lots of depth there. Um, if you're if you're a reader, uh, and obviously all those books can be an audiobook too, so a lot of people take that in. Um, you know, as a, as an accountant who's looking, if you're looking to broaden your skill sets uh, and and your experiences, I. I loved my corporate director's course, my institute of corporate director's course. It was all about systems and making decisions as a group. And so even if you think about the boardroom, you're taking disparate people with disparate skills, and you're trying to make decisions that you are all on side with, right? It's the same in a family, right? And so a lot of the skills that you learn in the corporate director's course, you can transpose into the into the family setting. I, I think the two are interchangeable. And then obviously the FEA um designation and FEX uh, has lots of good resources too and courses and things you can sit in on nationally and then locally.
0: Perfect. And, and then if you know, there's advisors or, or people clients that uh, want to get in touch with you or learn more about what your organization could do to help them, what's the best way to do that? Alice?
1: You can reach out over LinkedIn, or you can reach out just directly through email or, or um, uh, through our website.
0: Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Well, I—that's a wrap here today. I, I want to just uh, thank you personally for uh, an amazing conversation and and your insights. Uh, your one of the most influential successful businesswomen in uh, in Calgary for sure Alberta and even in Canada I'd say with what you've done uh, always uh, learn something when I talk to you even though we're in the same space I I love I love your approach to uh, to what you're doing and and I wish you all the best and thank you so much again Allison for your time today
1: It's a pleasure to be with you too take care.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Innovative Accountant Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed the show and maybe even learned something new. If you're interested in transforming your client experience to create sustainable firm growth, get in touch with us by visiting integratedadvisory.ca to set up your free call with one of our integrated advisory experts. Visit integratedadvisory.ca to schedule your free call today. And we will see you next time right here on the Innovative Accountant Podcast. Production of the podcast is by At Heart Branding Co. and can be found online at atheart.co. That's A T H E A R T dot co.